and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Vampire Movie Minute podcast, dedicated to any and all vampire movies not covered by other Movie by Minute podcasts here on the Radio Power Network and part of the Movie Minute by podcast Movie by Minute podcast uh, organization, which started, by the way, if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with us or any of them. It was started with the Star Wars Movie Minute podcast uh, a few years ago. I thought it was a ridiculous idea when I heard about it, and then I decided I needed to do it after listening to a couple of them. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Fright Night Movie Minute, which those guys would have said they wanted to come on the show, and uh, as well as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, which has been a lot of fun to listen to. I am your host, uh, Dr. Chris. And I'm Scott Danielson. And also uh, rejoining us uh, for another five minutes of Vampire Hunter D, we have our guest on the show with us, Mark Leslie, author. Thanks for coming back on the show with us, Mark. It is great to be back, Chris. Thanks so much. Mark, you also do a podcast, correct, that started in uh, 2018? Yeah, I do a podcast for writers called Stark Reflections on Writing and Publishing, and I just explore the business of writing and publishing with uh, authors of all persuasions. Oh, I should listen to that because I've got published stuff myself out, not nearly as many as you do. How many books do you have out? Uh, if you count the books I've edited and uh, co-authored and stuff, probably about 30. Jeez, I only, I'm, I'm sitting on a measly, like, 12, and half of those are audiobooks. Oh, wow, well, congratulations, that's fantastic. I've been at it since I was 14, though, and I'm not a spring chicken. I've been trying <laughs> to be at it since I was 14, but my parents beat me down about being a writer for too many years, so... <laughs> it's the old get-a-real-job, right? Yeah, something like that. Uh, but I've also done comic books, and trying to get a comic book put together is uh, definitely a lot more difficult than writing a book. Um, because you're just literally just typing everything up, but with a comic book, you have to pay an artist. You gotta be the artist. You gotta tell them how what's wrong, what needs to be fixed, and how to make it work the way you want it to work, and and things like that. In fact, I had an amazing idea after this Friday's events in uh, in uh, in the media in government to come up with an idea called Captain Abortion and his team sidekick Pro Choice. You basically write to him like Santa Claus, and he'll come out to you and. You know, take away what you don't want. Oh dear, <laughs> that could be a good anime, actually. Yeah, I think it will make uh, be uh, the bestseller in at least uh, what twenty four states, Scott. Uh, too many states, at least about half. Two, no, no. How many states are pro choice though? Oh, I think it's like twenty. I don't know. I don't know exactly off the top of my head. Not, yeah. not enough. Not enough. We return to Vampire Hunter D with minutes ten, 10 to fifteen. 15. And uh, we open up uh, these minutes with uh, Doris telling Dee that you can get three meals a day and you can fuck me if you want to. And I'm like, yikes. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I don't know. That, even when I was a teenager, and I saw this movie when I was whew, 15, 16 years old, that just always made me uncomfortable. Yeah, there's, there's always, there always seems to be a moment like that, even no matter if it is just a straightforward, you know, literal vampire hunter, you know, future medieval setting thing. Actually, Mark, I did want to ask you, do you, th do you know of any sort of, like, genre this would fall into outside of just anime? Because, I mean, outside of, like, horror? Like, I don't know, because I was thinking it's, it's, it's akin to something like steampunk, but obviously it's in the future and also old. It's, it's weird. <laughs> uh, I, I, it has so many elements of so many different genres in it, but I kept going back to Western. I kept going back to the strong, silent hero. Because the first time Dee talks is after she admits um, what had happened to her. He crouches down, takes a look at her neck, puts you know the, 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 the thumb on her chin, which is very sexual in the way he does that. And yet he holds himself back from the, any desire. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, you, that, that alludes to something that happens later on, which is really, really great foreshadowing. In this opening scene, you see that she throws himself at her or herself at him. And he is the strong, silent hero who's there to protect her and refuses the advance. But in that next few minutes, you see the exact opposite in another character. And I think that's just brilliant. That's brilliant interplay between, you know, one of the bad guys and, and, and the good guy in this. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's interesting. And also it's, it's falling into kind of a, it's both a Western trope and also a, an anime trope, which is this pairing of a stalwart, like silent hero with a precocious young one. <laughs> it's a big <laughs> thing. And, and also, and also like a woman who is portrayed, it's like should be deemed more capable than they are portrayed. <laughs> Right. So it is, it is kind of interesting. I'm just kind of imagining, like, by the end, it's, you know, uh, D gets, like, his Shane ending with <laughs> a little guy running after. There always seems to be the lone warrior come to town and the women throw um, themselves at him for payment. Um, right. it, it, this is going to go back to actual history in, on the planet Earth of people doing this and probably still doing this today. And uh, we don't have, like, a... Uh, we don't have the Mad Max future that, you know, we think we do. Um, I understand there's, you know, it's it's funny to poke fun at, but we don't have this lawlessness kind of happening anywhere, at least in the two countries we're all from. But do you think this really does happen where, like, women are just, like, throwing themselves at the hero to be like, I can't make payments, but this is what you'll get? I just, I just think it's interesting that this is, like, this is a – I've mostly – seen this heard heard this as like as not necessarily as a fiction trope because it definitely this is something that happens only in the most desperate and severe situations basically and so the times that you hear it are honestly like war it's almost always something like that right where desperation is so so high that people like will do anything to keep surviving and so that's and so um like you actually will find a number of uh like world war ii films about people who you know like would sleep with essentially either collaborative, you know, collaborator governments or actual enemy soldiers to ensure that they would survive and then were like roundly dismissed by their peers when, when everything shifted back. So it's kind of, it's very, it's very, everybody seems to be really into Gerald. So. Yes. Constantly in a comic book I just read based on Frank Brazetta's um, death dealer. Same thing happens. He comes into town and the woman is just like, I will sleep with you. And he's like, I am not interested in that. I'm here to do the job. And then she just like gets into the hot tub with him and they start fucking. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 he's so attractive. He's, he can say no very easily, even yes. if he doesn't say no later. Yes. Cause we all look like the rock apparently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> must be six feet. This is a really good use of a renewable resource, right? She's on a farm. And this is some resource she can provide and can provide again because when she gives it out, it doesn't, it's not gone. It's there again. You can use it again. So this is very um, um, intelligent use of, of that. And I'm also reminded uh, when you talked about the stranger comes into town and everyone throws themselves at the stranger's feet, I couldn't help but think about Don Henley's Boys of Summer uh, in that sort of, uh, you know, and again, that, that song came out in the 80s, uh, not, too, not too far after um, this this film so i was just thinking about that concept as well yeah this gas cloud that seems to be um eating up the lambs pretty uh pretty horrifically um it's almost like a it's either like a supernatural creature or it's some type of like nanite technology 
Yeah, it's they like don't really it's like explain what it is, but it does appear more than once in the film. So it's not like this is the only time it appears. It does appear later on and tries to kill D. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it appears like it looks like a combination of lightning and gas and then it can be fended off with traditional weapons. I don't know, it just it just it's kind of interesting that in a a universe that includes vampires and werewolves and stuff like that that they're equivalent that they're equivalent of like oh a fox got into like your 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 sheep or whatever it is this <laughs> well that's what i was thinking it's a very futuristic i'm protecting my land right yeah exactly. right i'm protecting my land from this natural science meets nature kind of thing that's going to attack them whatever it is um, and, and I, I kind of like that because it was very unique, but it also we knew the trope, right? We, we saw it right away. Yeah. Uh, we meet Dan, the younger brother of Doris, and Dan is actually voiced by women in both the American and uh, original Japanese voice acting. Ah, there yeah. was all this time there. Laura Cody plays Dan in the American. She's still alive with us today. She plays Kay and Akira. Uh, she's in Metal Gear Solid 2. She's in Paranorman, which is one of my favorite movies, um, animated, animated movies. If you've never seen it, it's yeah. about a kid who can talk to ghosts, and it's just like – it's not like a big revelation to him, and he's scared. It's just like an everyday thing to him. Hey, Grandma. Grandma's dead. You know, hey, neighbors that are dead, you know, that sort of thing. But she's been in Robots, um, tons of anime. Again, one of those lo just long, long list of anime that we just don't have time to cover every single thing they've ever done. And then the yeah. uh, original Japanese actress is Kiko Toda, uh, yeah. also still with us today. Uh, she was in Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within, Kiko's Delivery Service. Um, she she plays Ozna, and also okay. again still working to this very day. Uh, CSI Crime Scene Talks. I don't know what this is. It was 28 episodes. Maybe this is like a Japanese CSI show. Yeah, and my favorite bit of trivia about about uh, Keiko Toda is that she was the voice of Thomas the Tank Engine in the Japanese dub for eight seasons. Oh, that's whole. That's so funny. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> um, so, you know, they, they go to town to pick up supplies, and we meet the Gaston of the movie. This guy Gaston. is literally Gaston. <laughs> yes, he's he's foppish Gaston. That's the <laughs> best way I can describe him. He just, he, I don't know why, it's, and again, it's just another visual element that they just pull. It's like, it's like everything is everything and nothing at the same time. You know, because we have D who dresses like I don't know, like he's both Clint Eastwood and a count, and then we have we have Dan who looks like he he looks like honestly he would be on um, Tatooine with Luke growing up, and then we got this guy, then we got get this guy who has like the Austin Powers cravat, and I'm like, what's going? Like nobody, there's no consistency, and I kind of love it. <laughs> So we're not going to do, um, and maybe we'll do it for like the end of the show, uh, which I think would make for a final episode, great final episode. We'll go over the re-release voice cast as well, because this was re-released on Blu-ray with a brand new acting uh, American voice cast, and a lot of people don't like the, the redo voice cast, but we will go over who some of those people are later on. I have never seen that version of the movie, and I might do myself a favor and watch it for this podcast, but yes, there is an entire voice cast list for the second time that they redub this film. Yeah, and that's it's an interesting thing. It's interesting that you bring that up because that's actually a fairly common occurrence in anime just because because there, it usually came over in stages and whenever it did got it was like, "Oh, you bought up temporary rights," you know, or something like that. So finding official versions of everything is always really difficult or what people accept. Right. And I almost I, bought the Blu-ray of this movie until I found out, "No, the Blu-ray is going to have the new cast, not the uh, original 80s cast that I'm actually more used to." So I'm glad yeah. 
yeah. they didn't. Yeah, well, and I think that's also that's also that inconsistency is, and sometimes it can be a translation problem. Is also why a lot of like a lot of hardcore anime fans uh, are a uh, sub not dub variety. Right. Like it's like no, you gotta just just do the subtitles. It's gonna be way better in context. And sometimes it's definitely right, and other times it doesn't make as big of a difference. Uh, there's a couple. There's some great series that have done it really well. I think. Uh, in terms of dubbing and and like Cowboy Bebop is a go-to example. Like the you 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 really wouldn't change any of the voice cast there dubbing like and all no. the themes will still come through. But too many people know Stephen Bloom as the 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 voice for um, Spike too much. Yeah, exactly. You can't change him. It's it's great. No. And also our and also our favorite video game Wolverine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. But I will give it up that he was a pretty decent Starscream on the uh, Transformers Prime cartoon series, just because that's not oh, the original uh, Starscream from the from the eighties. But uh, the uh, the actor who plays Greco in this, um, again, he is just an animated workhorse, uh, best known for like Ghost in the Shell and Lupin the Third Castle. And his uh, Japanese counterpart has been in some of the films that we have already mentioned before, such as Ninja Scroll and Wicked City. Oh wow, yeah, some of those. <laughs> Plus a ton of, like, uh, just a ton of redubbing for American shows like Agatha Christie, as well as Fist of the North Star. Um, I've never heard of this before, Ping Pong the Animation. But he was the more recent Barry Burton in the Resident Evil movies from Japan. Uh, sorry, Resident Evil uh, video games in Japan. There you go. Greco is kind of a dick. And because, obviously, you know, as uh, Mark pointed out, you know, D just rebuffs her affections and her, like, you know, you can fuck me if you want to. Greco is all about that non-consensual stuff because she points out, no one ever gets that close to me unless I let them. Yeah, it's always, it's it's kind of a, this character type is often, they always talk about, to the woman as if it's an honor that they, and this is why, you, rightly, I think, said Gaston, like, it's like, oh, I get to pick Belle as my wife. Like, that's, he has, that's a part of his entire song, <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, like that, that part of the opening song is like, oh, that's that's what's gonna happen because like she deserves the best and I'm the best. Like that's how they frame it, and that's very much what this guy does. It's like I chose you, and that means something. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's even back then. If I lived, and I hope I had the mentality <laughs> I do now, I would just never think that's okay. That's just like, no, women are property, and they can just be married off because I need a land deal or my daughter is of the age that I need to like merge the families together or whatever the excuse was that women yeah. were just bartering tools. I don't get it. I don't, yeah. it, 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 it. Obviously it seems like when the 20th century came around, a lot of that crap stopped. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah. To some extent. I mean, obviously an uphill battle, but I think it's, it's interesting. Have either of you seen uh, The Last Duel, that Ridley Scott movie that bombed? <laughs> yeah. No. About the rape scene and, like, the both versions of the story that everyone's telling to... to... So what I find so fascinating is that it, it's a movie going for, like, the Rashomon effect, so we've got our blend of East and West, for those of you at home. Uh, <laughs> but... But it's all, it's basically all like what led to this, tr basically a trial by combat for allegedly for the woman's honor. And then we see it from the woman's perspective and it literally looks like two dudes just fighting about their ego and being unable to recognize when they did sexual assault, <laughs> which is also terrifying. But then also you see that mostly Matt Damon is just upset about his property, like what his marriage does or doesn't get him. He initially portrays himself as being like, oh, I'm very much like defending my wife's honor. And it really becomes about, oh, he just really wants to both A, kill this guy and B, um, get more property. Yikes. 
Greco exposes Doris and uh, kind of a dick move, and that is how we end our five minutes of uh, the movie. What did you think of the overall film itself, uh, Mark? Uh, you said you got up to the epilogue, which is fine, but uh, with the everything that's coming up for the film, art style and storytelling as a writer, any nitpicks or anything, you're, you're free to uh, express yourself. Yeah, you know, I, I was fascinated by this film and, and that I hadn't watched it before, that I hadn't seen it before, and just how much, how well this holds up. Even uh, the style and everything, I, I wasn't bothered by any of, of the stylistic elements. I actually got captivated into it. And there's these wonderful panning sequences. And again, there's so many elements of it that uh, are great classic storytelling. But it was, uh, it, it was compelling and intriguing. So I was really glad and want to thank you guys so much for, for pointing it out to me so I could, uh, so I could get through it and, and, and enjoy it. There are 39 okay. novels that this movie is connected to, by the way. So you have a lot of reading to catch up on. This is the first one, right? This is the first novel. This is the, yeah. yeah. And the other movie, Blood, Blood, uh, Bloodlust, is um, based on the third novel. And okay. the novels are out of print. However, Dark Horse Manga is republishing them in omnibuses, collecting them three novels at a time. You can have ability to catch up, and there are eight manga books which are much easier to find than the actual novel. Some of the novels are very difficult to find and they go for 50 or $60. Um, some of them are pretty much cover price. Honestly, it'd probably be best just to wait for the omnibuses, omnibuses to come out every few months. And the next one comes out in August, which is going to collect uh, volumes uh, four, five, and six. Cool. Wow. Yeah, well, it's, and it's interesting, Mark, that you you mentioned that this was kind of like, to some extent, an introduction to anime, and I actually think it's it's not a bad one because it is it is extreme in certain elements, but it still has a lot of, like you said, it's very cinematic in how it looks. Like the, yeah. you know, like I was noticing just in like, especially when every time it introduces a place, there's always these establishing shots, there's yes. these camera pans. Like it is, it it's very well storyboarded to feel like a like a film rather than like a sh a show where it's like, hey, we're gonna have the same backdrop we always have and that same sequence we always have. So there's also a video game too, which we will cover in an upcoming episode as well. Castlevania. Uh, terrible. No, there is a video game. There's a vampire <laughs> no. video game for PlayStation, and it is terrible. I know. But by the time we get to Symphony of the Night, it looks exactly like this. <laughs> right, 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 right. And Bloodlust is actually animated. The sequel is actually animated by the same people who do Castlevania, the anime show on Netflix. Oh, there you go. Yep, That's a fun that, yep it's same uh, same company. So there is that there connection. Go. We're going to be meeting a couple more characters, including one of the most important characters uh, next to D, uh, coming up in the next, uh, the next few episodes, Hand. And uh, we'll go into a little bit of backstory about him because the movie does not. <laughs> Fun trivia fact for the uh, sequel when we get come to the end of the uh, sh show's coverage of the movie. Where can people find us? Yeah, you can find us at Vampire Minute on Twitter and Vampire Movie Minute on Facebook and obviously wherever you get your podcasts. Let me ask you this real quick, Mark. How do you... Okay, let me, let me just read this real quick. Beginning in January of 1983, Kikuchi has written 39 Vampire Hunter D novels spanning 51 volumes. What? Written what? 39 novels spanning 51 volumes. Oh, well, that's like the Lord of the Rings, right? Like, you know, there was like um, volumes within a, a novel. Potentially. Oh, okay. Is it like Dickens? Yeah, and so 51 volumes yeah. as of, by the way, December of 2021. Wow. Yes. Goodness. Yeah. And we only have two movies. What the hell, Japan? Get on top of that. <laughs> that Castlevania series is, is beloved. They could make they could make bank off this. Yeah, something like people that. like Helsing, too. Mark, where can people find you? Yay, and the podcast is at starkreflections.ca. 
And you can also email us at at gmail.com. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with minutes 15 to 20 here on the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast covering the anime Vampire Hunter D. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>